everyone. My name is Adam Williams, and you are listening to another episode of Retail Redeveloped. I am very excited today to be joined by Carlos Aragon. And some of you guys might be saying right now, wait a minute, this, this name sounds familiar. I feel like, I feel like I've heard this, uh, this gentleman before. The reason he does sound familiar is because he is a repeat guest now. Carlos, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This is your third time on the show, correct? Uh, second might be my third. I think somebody else from Ipsos joined you previously. Oh, that's right. That's right. Ipsos, Ipsos number three, Carlos number two. Uh, so why do we keep going back to the well for Ipsos and who the heck are they? Ipsos is one of the largest consumer data aggregator just beasts on the planet. Like they, they keep their fingers on the pulse of what is going on in the consumer's minds. And they've been continuously gathering data throughout the COVID pandemic. And I think that it is, it's fascinating to me to be able to look into the mind of the consumer and understand how it's changing in the retail world and, and what we can, what we can um, kind of forecast moving forward. So uh, without, without further ado, Carlos, do me a favor, refresh everybody on who you are. Uh, you're a vice president at Ipsos, but what do you do? What does Ipsos do? And, and let's give everybody a quick little 30-second refresher before we jump into to the next leg of, of the study that you guys have been conducting ever since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, so um, Ipsos is a, a large uh, research company. I think we're the third largest in the world. Uh, we just won the, the award for the most innovative research company again for the third or fourth year in, in the last five. Um, and then my team, we are the, we're part of the channel performance service line, which is kind of a fancy way of saying um, we assess uh, what shoppers are doing at the point of purchase, their interactions with salespeople, uh, their online purchasing, and in this case, their online purchasing and either delivery or pickup. So anything relating to that are sort of the things that we cover. So right off the bat, let, let's just jump right into it since you know we've already we are we already know each other and we've already introduced each other. I've already told everybody how how brilliant you are and all that other fun stuff. Um, let, let's jump right in. Seventy eight percent of Americans increase their use of buy online, pick up in store, and curbside shopping as a result of the pandemic. And as it subsides, or you know, knock on wood, as it hopefully subsides one of these freaking days, 69% of those surveyed said they expect to continue using e-commerce options at the same levels, if not higher. Walk us through the data that has, that has kind of pointed you in that direction and just walk me through your thoughts on that uh, and, and just kind of how, how you see that changing uh, the, the retail landscape. Yeah, so, um, you know, we've been looking at e-commerce for years, pre-COVID as well as, as during it. Uh, but last year, we kicked off a study where we wanted the e-commerce experience report, right, where we wanted to understand how consumers were adapting to COVID, what their behavior was, and what was changing. And uh, one of the things that uh, we, we were seeing back in August of last year is that shoppers, consumers, we're buying a lot of things online, right? None of that was really a surprise. But the question was, is whether that was going to stick around or post-COVID, if people were going to go back into retail and buy things in person again. We, um, we did the study again back in May, June. Um, and what we found was 
most of that online purchasing behavior has stuck around, right? May, June, you know, we're not technically out post-COVID, but um, certainly a lot more people are vaccinated and, and the urgency of it in a lot of cases has gone away. Um, and so we were seeing, um, you know, basically, yeah, about two-thirds to three-quarters of consumers were continuing with their online purchasing behavior. Um, with this latest study, we, we focused explicitly on food and beverage and grocery. Um, I saw a report yesterday that talked about electronics purchases, and that really shifted um, also into that, uh, I think it was 72% was the number I saw there from that report. You know, 72% of people make their, their electronics purchases online. They never even go to the store unless it's to pick things up. And, you know, the, the obvious question there is, well, what does that mean for retailers? What does that mean for grocery stores if, if people aren't going into their physical locations? Uh, you know, how important are they? What do they need to do? And, and, you know, when people are shopping there physically, what exactly is the role of the salesperson? Um, and I think one of the really interesting things that we've seen come up uh, with this latest round of research was the importance of inventory. Um, and and the struggles that I think a lot of retailers have had and continue to have with with inventory availability, um, less so in food and beverage than grocery, but some of the retailers were really struggling with just having basic items in stock and available for purchase. And then kind of the other thing that really frustrates consumers is the disconnect between what's available online and then what actually shows up. Um, in their order when they go to pick it up or when they have it delivered. Um, it, um, you know, it's not quite a deal breaker yet, I would say, but, you know, there's a lot of grocery brands out there. There's a lot of uh, restaurants out there. And if, uh, if somebody gets a reputation for, you know, you order 10 things, only eight of them are actually going to show up. Um, there are options and, and there are some retailers that have kind of, managed to figure out how to keep things in stock and or um, replace them or have them shipped out quickly uh, when they're out of stock. And I, th I think that's kind of the, the interesting pivot uh, that we've seen in 2021. And so how do, <clears throat> how do you see the consumer reacting as, as we move forward? Obviously, you know, the, I, I don't think, I think it's fair to say that there haven't been a lot of sectors that have been immune to this. I mean, you can go into a restaurant and it's manifest in labor shortage. Uh, it's manifest in, oh, I know that you like your you know, pumpkin spice latte, but we couldn't get the pumpkin, right? So it's just, it, it just is what it is. Um, I tried to go to a, a fast casual restaurant that I like a couple of days ago. And right there on the, on the wall was, you know, we only do pick up because we don't have enough staff, right? There's, and you see all the pithy signs that are that are out there that say, hey, not everybody wants to show up. The people that are showing up, please be nice to them because they're overworked. Um, so, I mean, you, you see it there. Um, I went to Best Buy the other day because I needed a new computer monitor. And it was like, it looked like I was at a yard sale, right? There was there was a, a huge gaps in, um, in what I would normally consider their uh, par, like their, their absolute you know, minimum that they're going to keep in stock. So I, I, I feel like this is almost a universal truth right now in the retail world 
it's like everybody's trying. People are still spending money, and and we don't need to get into reasons why um, why we think people are still spending money. But there's just there's just not enough product to go around. Um, what is there one sector that you would say has been immune to this condition, or one sector that has been hit very hard, or are you seeing the same thing? Or are you guys seeing the same things that I'm seeing on the street, which is it seems to be across the board. Now we're we're seeing it across the board. There are specific retailers um, who in 2020 made some decisions that have spared them from maybe the worst of the inventory or labor shortfalls. But no, it's it's hitting everybody. I, and I'm I'm with you. I went to a I went to a restaurant uh, yesterday to pick up some dinner and pre-ordered it, and then I had to wait 20 minutes inside the restaurant because they were short-staffed. Right? It's not that the staff that was there was goofing off they just they didn't have enough people to deal with right. the people that were pre-ordering and the ones that were in line and that is a that is a common issue across all industries um today i think that the point that i would make though is consumers were willing to give brands a lot of grace right. this last year for labor shortfalls for inventory issues at this point you know, what we're seeing in the data, forget what I think, but what we're seeing in the data is consumers are, are not willing to grant that much grace anymore. Um, they're they're kind of looking at these retailers and grocery stores and restaurants and saying, guys, you had a year and a half to figure this out. You know, either either raise your wages or order more of whatever, but get these things in stock. And if you don't, I will go someplace else. Um it's not, you know, like I said earlier, it's not reached, you know, panic levels yet of of people jumping ship to other retailers. But it's really easy, right? You know, if you're if you're buying things online, if you're not having to physically go to a location, it's super easy to to jump from one grocer to another or one home improvement retailer to another. And you just you figure out who's got it in stock and or, you know, who can get it to you the quickest. So how do you how would you, if you were talking to a, a retailer, what advice would you give to retailers? I mean, you can't exactly say like try harder, right? I mean, obviously they want to fill the, they want to fill the shelves and they want to staff the floors. Um, obviously they, they can't do anything about, um, you know, government subsidies that is being offered to their workers that could potentially keep them from, from being at work or control kind of macroeconomic events that could, that could somehow alter these. Like, so what advice are you guys giving to these retailers that are coming to you and, and asking for answers? Yeah. I mean, the, the common refrain where, because you're right, you know, there are all sorts of complicated reasons why things are not available, why staff isn't available, why things are taking longer and they're all valid. Um, I think that the common refrain, the common solution we're telling everybody is you have to communicate and you have to communicate and be accurate with what you're saying. Um, if you, if you tell a consumer when they make a purchase that, you know, Hey, here's the 10 things you ordered. We'll deliver all 10 of them day after tomorrow. All 10 of those items should show up. Consumers get really irritated when only eight of those 10 show up. If two of them aren't, aren't available, then make that clear on your website, right? Same thing with like a, a grocery or a, sorry, a restaurant pickup. If something's going to take 45 minutes, then say that. Um, and I think what we're seeing right now is there is a, there is a disconnect between 
what's going on on the, I'm going to call it the corporate websites, right? The corporate front end, the ordering process, and what's happening in grocery stores, in restaurants themselves, where they're dealing with labor shortfalls, they're dealing with, with inventory issues. Um, and my guess is whoever figures out how to more accurately link those two ends of things is going to come out successful, right? If, if um, you know, Target, Home Depot, Walmart, Lowe's, you know, some of those places can tell you uh, there are exactly seven of these items and they're in aisle seven, bay right. 24, right? And then you go in there and there are seven items, right? There isn't really a great reason in a consumer's mind why a grocery store can't do the same thing or why a restaurant can't do the same thing. Um, so it's, it, it is really about that up-to-date, you know, in-the-moment communication and setting those expectations. If I can't get my, my burrito in 15 minutes, fine. But don't promise me 15 minutes and then make me wait for 45 because you, you know, restaurant couldn't figure out your staffing issues or your supply issues. So it's interesting, Carlos, that the, the more you're talking, uh, the more it's becoming clear that, that retail is a game that is being driven so much. Now, obviously experiential, right? Like you got to, you got to, you got to nail the experience part, mm -hmm. but it's all about data, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it, the, the amount of data that a retailer can collect and then, then use to, to predict uh, timing, <clears throat> availability, process. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Like every, every retailer that I talk to, uh, and especially the, the more new they are, the newer that they are, the, the more direct to consumer kind of focused and, and derived that they are, the more they're just giant data crunchers, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and, it, and it seems like we're probably just seeing the tip of the iceberg there. Um, how, how, do you, how does that comment strike you? No, I, I think that's exactly accurate. And, and you, you see which are the... I'm not even sure that it's an investment issue. Um, it probably is, but you can definitely see which retailers have made it a priority to... to you know, to, to get that data into the hands of developers, um, the logistics folks, whomever, um, because it's not that they don't have the same challenges as everybody else, but they're communicating that to consumers, right? Um, Starbucks is the best example. We didn't measure Starbucks this last time around, but, you know, Starbucks on every, on every sign you go to in the drive-thru and every restaurant and even online, and this is kind of the key thing they tell you that they're having, you know, inventory issues and not everything is available. Um, and what's, what's interesting about Starbucks is they kind of take the opposite approach, right? Instead of saying, yeah, yeah, we'll totally sell this to you. And then you show up and it's not there. They tend to be a little bit more conservative, right? They might have six paninis, but they're not going to sell it to you online. If you go into the store, you'll find that you can buy one. They're, they're trying to avoid the risk of disappointing a customer by selling them something that isn't necessarily available in store. Most other retailers do the opposite, right? They sell you the product, and then after the fact, um, you find out that it's not available or it's on back order. Um, and, and 
you know, we'll, we'll see what, uh, I mean, Starbucks has other reasons for success, but I tend to think that the Starbucks approach of being a little bit more conservative and a better communicator up front is the right approach. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a behemoth. Um, and, it, and it's incredible. The more, the more that you see them go towards convenience, drive through, um, you know, call ahead. Their app is just a monster. It's, it's impressive. So let, let's, while, while we're talking about Starbucks and, and, and dominant QSRs, walk me through some other players in, in that area that have impressed you throughout this. Um, I, I would say just off the top of my head, I've been absolutely blown away by, uh, you were talking about burritos earlier. So now you're going to have me thinking about burritos all day. Um, <clears throat> Chipotle, their uh, consumer experience and, and consumer interface uh, pre-COVID and even three months into COVID was like night and day. I mean, mm-hmm. the app experience was so much better. Uh, they, it, it almost, you were able to almost watch them morph in real time into this like catering monster where you walk in and all of a sudden there's sh- these shelves floor to ceiling full of to-go orders and people are just, I mean, you can still go in there and order, but I mean, the amount of people that are just walking in the door and grabbing their grub and, and, and hitting the road is, is it's pretty impressive to watch like as big of a company as they are, how they were able to, to kind of adjust on the fly. Well, and you know, and I, I'm fairly sure most of their locations are franchises. So, you know, you're dealing with somewhat of a decentralized system where not everyone has to do everything the exact same way, but you know, we, we found in our research, they were, they were pretty consistently doing things very well, right? The front end, you know, I think they're corporate. What's that? I think they're corporate. Okay. Well, that, that probably helps explain why they're doing so much better than some of them. Somebody's going to check me on that. I'm going to, I'm going to look it up while we're talking, but I I think they're still corporate um, as opposed to like a subway that is just a monster franchise system. Yeah. But they, you know, to the, to the point you made, right. They're, their ordering system was superb. And then, and then they, they picked an approach that really worked well, which is, you know, let's stick some shelves in the, in the restaurant. And then when orders come in, we put them on the shelves. Um, other, other retailers, other restaurants made different decisions. They, they kept things behind the counter. You had to stand in line. Uh, they would push people to drive through, um, but the, the Chipotle approach of, you know, just there's a manufacturing line of, of uh, food and it goes onto a shelf to wait for you to pick it up worked really, really well. Um, the other brand that actually did surprisingly well to me was Panda Express. And, and it surprised me because so much of their e-commerce goes through the drive-thru. Um, and most drive-thru, since it's uh, fast food, it's kind of this weird dynamic, right? It doesn't take, it's not really any faster to pre-order and then go through the drive-thru. It takes about the same amount of time because you're still waiting. Right. In the drive-thru. Um, but with Panda, you know, it's, it's kind of like Chipotle. It's pretty easy to prepare the order, stick it on a shelf. And then when somebody comes through the drive-thru, you grab it off the shelf and you hand it to them. So you're not saving people, you know, oodles of time but you're probably saving every single consumer who does that two minutes i would guess right. yeah it's not moving the needle yeah i mean it, it but it, it adds up right and i think 
I think the point is that consumers appreciate appreciate the fact that Panda is, is allowing them to pre-order and then they're having the order ready when they come to the drive-thru. Um, and, and that really is, is kind of the key thing, right? Is whenever I show up as a consumer, that product needs to be ready then. Not 20 minutes before and not 20 minutes later, but right when I show up is, is when it should be ready. Yeah. And, and I, I think that I, again, not to keep heaping it on Chipotle, but they've nailed that, you know, they, they give you time and it's pretty damn close uh, yeah, yeah. for the record, corporately owned 2,622 stores, uh, all corporately owned their market cap revenue in the U S almost $6 billion. It's a lot of freaking burritos. They keep doing it right. They're going to grow. Uh, they're going to grow beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the only thing that's really slowing them down is, has been kind of the, the illness stuff. I mean, that was, that obviously made them take a big hit, but they reacted to that well too. Or, I mean, you could argue they acted, reacted poorly, but they kept reacting until they figured it out. Yeah. Um, so let, let's, let's switch gears. Uh, the, one of the other monster winners out of, uh, out of the, the pandemic from the retail uh, from a retail standpoint, are the grocery chains. Yep. Uh, I mean, these guys absolutely just were chugging right along when the rest of the industry was was really suffering. Uh, it's an it's a it's a it's an area that I'm I'm fascinated by, or I'm very interested in in watching kind of the next five or ten year arc uh, and how yeah. things are going to continue to evolve. Players are going to come in to continue to to make the delivery system and the and the kind of on demand system better and better, uh, which which I think will be really interesting. But but walk me through what the data has shown you guys about the retail industry as it relates to grocery uh, through this pandemic. So there's a couple of things, right? Um, grocery was already doing pickup and delivery pre COVID, um, so they had. Uh, particularly on the pickup side, they had a bit of a head start. Um, They had the logistics, they had the infrastructure, they had things set up. They had to make adjustments. Um, I think a lot of grocery stores eliminated their in-store pickup and went strictly to a curbside approach, uh, which by and large, I think was was a good decision uh, for for their business model. What we noticed was really interesting was that the regional brands actually improved considerably in the last 12 months. Um, and, you know, while Walmart and Target, the the kind of the national players, and, you know, they're not really grocery stores, but they definitely play in that space. They didn't get any worse. It's, it's just that the regional players improved enough to displace Walmart and Target, who were, you know, in the top three or four a year ago from those positions. Uh, and, and, it's a couple of things, right? One, it's the upfront ordering system, which has just gotten so much better. Um, but then in addition, it's that fulfillment, right? It is a machine. You drive up to an HEB or a Publix, you park in a spot, you text a number, you email the store. In some cases, you call the store. And in less than five minutes, somebody comes out with your groceries, you pop your trunk, they put them in there, and off you go. Um you know, the, the only point of pain is is kind of the one that everybody deals with, which is I ordered 10 items, but only eight showed up. Um, you know, and then the other the other frustration point is minimum purchase order sizes or, or um, 
minimum values for orders, and then uh, pickup fees. Um, nobody likes paying pickup fees, uh, but you know, there's Amazon Prime, there's Walmart Plus. Um, I think Safeway Albertsons just announced their own membership program the other day. Uh, you know, consumers are willing to pay for some of these things um, if you get it right and if you're if you're doing it efficiently, quickly, and getting them what they ask you to. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I think where grocery has really won, especially the regional players, right? It's it's inventory availability, um, it's order accuracy, it's that fulfillment process. Um, and then it's the communication, right? Just throughout the process, they're communicating with you. Um, you know, hey, your order's ready for pickup. Come grab it. Or your order's on the way. Um, and then after it's been delivered, hey, we delivered your order. Uh, I don't think grocery stores generally do it like Amazon does, where they take a picture of it and upload that so you see that it was delivered. But they at least tell you that it got delivered, which not everybody does. And that's, you know, if you have things that need to be refrigerated or frozen, it's important to know that it got delivered. Walk me through what you see as the future of grocery. I'd love to hear, I have my thoughts, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think, you know, pick a time frame. the next year, the next five years uh, looks like in the grocery world. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you've ordered from Home Depot Lowe's Target in the last you know, Amazon in the last couple of months. The last couple of they, minutes, probably. But yeah. They all do a really fantastic job <laughs> telling you um, that inventory availability thing. I I think I think the reality is that the grocery stores are gonna have to adapt to that sort of communication model of in the moment inventory and and you know up up to the minute accuracy uh, of what's available either in the fulfillment warehouses or in the store. Um, the other thing that's definitely happening, uh, you see this with all the partnerships with it, with Greets uh, or Instacart or whomever, is there you know the grocery stores are outsourcing some of the fulfillment to third party partners, um, and it it kind of seems like they're taking two approaches. Right, one is the fulfillment warehouse, you know, wherever, wherever that warehouse is, the Safeway truck, the Walmart truck picks things up there and, and takes them to your home or ships them to you. But the other is, you know, you have an Instacart shopper go into your local store and they're your personal shop. Um, personally, I don't like the Instacart approach, but my wife it loves is. it. Same, uh, and Same it, exact thing. Drives me nuts. Yeah, but it but it works for a lot of consumers, right? They they're having that in the moment communication with their personal shopper. They're getting to make choices about what exactly the product is. You know, if, if this brand of pasta sauce is out of stock, then I'm going to pick this other brand, and it's me, the consumer, who makes that choice, not the retailer. Um, so I think it's really about giving consumers control um, and and in the moment uh, information that hasn't existed consistently up to now. But Carlos, I, I can't help but feel, and again, I know next to nothing about the grocery business, right? Like I, I, I know a fair amount about the retail business at large. I know maybe more than a fair amount about the restaurant business at large. Retail business is not my, not my focus, but it's important. I feel like we're caught in this like tweener scenario right now. To use your example of, of call ahead, 
right? Like I called ahead the other day, I was going out of town and had a bunch of coolers in, in the back of my car because we were going somewhere that, that was kind of remote and called ahead, you know, had my Publix groceries ready for me when I got there and you get there and you text it and you have this little old lady coming down the elevator with like three giant, you know, carts full of groceries. And she's like trying to tell me, ask me if I want help. I'm like, no, don't worry about it. And, and it's, yes, it, it was effective, right? I was able to schedule it remotely close to the time I wanted to pick it up. Yes, it was there, right? It was, it was, it was delivered to my car, but you're talking about Publix. These people literally made as much money like while we've been sitting here having this podcast as, as most people will ever see in a lifetime, like this is a beast of a company. Right. And, and pick another one, Wegmans, Kroger. I mean, there, there are some big players here. And it seems to me like these guys are going to watch Instacart start to make real money. And they're going to understand that it is probably not the most efficient use of anybody's time to have, you know, this nice little old lady walking through the aisles, picking up my stuff. I feel like, grocery stores are going to turn more into like really large, sophisticated Chick-fil-A's, right? Where you've got this army of, of areas that you can come in and pick up your food. The footprints shrink. The dis- distribution center that you can't see that's probably 30 minutes away from, your sta- from where you're standing gets much more complex. And the entire experience, I think, is going to be radically different. I don't know who's going to do it first, and I don't know who's going to do it well, but but it just seems to to reason that that, that we're in the middle of of a giant transformation, and, and and we haven't really seen the beginning of it yet because this just feels too stopgappy and messy mm-hmm. to to be the end, right? Like uh, so, again, I know nothing. I'm just a a dipshit pundit that likes to talk about uh, retail. Uh, but I just, I just feel like we're in the middle. I, I feel like we're in the earlier, maybe middle innings of this thing. I actually, I think you're right. Um, and I think my, what I would say to that is I, I think I've been saying, my colleagues have been saying for the past year that it is to a grocer's benefit to have the control of the, of everything having to do with the ordering and the fulfillment, right? Rather than outsourcing it to a third party. Um, the Instacarts of the world make a ton of money. The grocers don't really make a whole lot of revenue off of off of those incremental sales. But Instacart does, or Ship does, or whomever. Um, and what's, what's kind of been interesting is, even though I think there's a really good business case to be made for uh, bringing that all in-house, they're going the other direction. They're going in the direction of third-party partnerships. Now, to your point, is it a stopgap, right, where they're working with Instacart for the next three years while they set up their own system, and then three years from now, Instacart's out, and Wegmans, Kroger, Albertsons, they do their own fulfillment end-to-end. I would not be surprised to see that, Um but I would also not be surprised to see these stores saying, hey, this is not our core competency. Right. We can't do as good a job as Instacart. So we're going to partner with them. I also wouldn't be entirely shocked to see, 
either Instacart acquires a grocery store or the other way around, right? And just own that. Um, a lot of a lot of companies do that, right? You just you buy the fulfillment wing and right. If you can't if you can't beat them, join them, right? Might as well. So who else? Who else really is has gotten your attention and has reacted either extremely well or extremely poorly uh, during during this kind of upheaval? Yeah, so I'm going to just really quickly pick on Walmart and Target a little bit. Um, you know, when I talk about grocery, all the regional grocers, I think, are doing a, a pretty good job, right? Some do better than others, but in general, they've all kind of figured it out. Walmart and Target, you know, what I've been trying to figure out is, are, are expectations on them higher? And so even if in reality they're doing the same level of, of work as other companies, are they just perceived worse? Um, or are they actually being left behind? And I think the answer is a little bit mixed. Um, one of the things, you know, you just talked about it with Publix. One of the things that the regional grocers are doing is they're allowing you to schedule pickup times, right? I'm going to show up at 11 o'clock Saturday morning and you're going to have my products ready. Target and Walmart Target especially doesn't do that, um, and Walmart I think does. But uh, you know there were there were some challenges that they were facing uh, with the fulfillment process. Um, so that's you know that's one area that I'm I'm going to pick on them about. The other one, and this is a mostly a Walmart specific thing, is inventory. Walmart just is having massive challenges with inventory, um, and you know there it's not like Walmart doesn't know how to do logistics, but uh, especially within the grocery category, they're they're struggling um, a little bit compared to the regional players. Um, you know that may just be a blip uh, because they weren't having the same challenges. Well, they were having the challenges, but then so is everybody else. But at the moment, Walmart is is um, they're having more trouble with inventory. That's interesting because I mean they were kind of one of the darlings uh, early in the pandemic just because they're they made such massive uh, investments into their kind of online platform to but they had a head start right I, oh, yeah. I, I think that's the point right Walmart and Target had a head start they had everything in place and they've been executing for the last year and a half the regional players were behind but they've caught up and in a lot of cases passed them. So I, I, I'm kind of torn on this, and I, I think that you do have to give Walmart and Target credit for reacting to the Amazoning of everything, right? Like they, they've, they've, they've made huge strides of becoming kind of an online uh, fulfillment center uh, and, and using their huge footprints to, to give them inherent advantages. Um, but I, I hear you when you say that, that it, there's still a lot of bumps in the road and, it, and maybe the user interface isn't as smooth as, as a lot of these other players. Yeah. I, it's not so much the user interface. Um, I, I think it's really about the backend fulfillment because Target and Walmart's front end, you know, their apps and their ordering system is as good as anybody's. Yeah. Uh, Maybe maybe overcomplicated, but you can make that argument at a lot of places. Um, but it's it's more the fulfillment, right? That mm -hmm. 
every one of the thousands of targets and Walmarts in the country, are they all doing it consistently the same way and as well as, as a regional player? And it's, it's tough when you have thousands of locations versus when you have hundreds, um, you know, to, to have a consistent experience uh, everywhere in, in, in different geographies with different um, staffing challenges and different inventory challenges. I mean, it's, it's difficult for them to have the exact same experience everywhere. They do a pretty good job of it, though, right? That's, um, when, I, when I'm criticizing Walmart and Target, I'm not saying they're doing terrible. I'm just saying that they're, they're, they're average, and a year ago they were above average. So what do you see as the digital offerings rise, you know, how, how can these brands, whether it's, whether it's Chipotle or whether it's Publix or, or whatever brand it is, how, what can they do to ensure a seamless end-to-end e-commerce experience that, that you think is going to really resonate with customers? And, you know, do you think the, I'll start with that question. And then the second part of the question is, do you think, that the online Amazoning of things will will retreat at all, or do you think we're still just kind of in the in the early innings of that as well? Yeah. So there's there's really three things, right, that the retailers need to do. One is you got to make that ordering process up front super easy. Um, I I saw an article a month or so back that talked about the hybrid economy, which essentially says. Whether you're in store or online, consumers expect the same experience. Right. Um, so make the ordering process easy. Communicate, communicate. Commu- like it is. I, I think I said this in a webinar a while back. It is not. I have not seen any data that says it is possible to over communicate with consumers right. about an order. Um, so communicate, and then the third is is fulfillment, right? When you say the products are going to be ready or when they're going to be delivered, have them ready. Um, and if if you can't consistently uh, achieve that promise, then then back it down a little bit. But just make sure you deliver on your promise. I think those are probably the three things every retailer, regardless of industry, needs to do. And these, frankly, are very basic things. This is this is not you know, rocket science. It's not, uh, it's not doing things differently from anybody else. It's just, you just have to do it consistently. Um, to your point, to your question about, you know, what's the future look like? I, I don't see any reason for e-commerce or online ordering to go away. Um, and I don't see any reason for it to back down. Um, what we are seeing from, I think a lot of the data we've got is, is that that in-store experience, um, may become more experiential. Um, so it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense for grocery, but other retailers, you know, department stores, electronics, whatever, if you're going to go to a place, uh, you want to talk to a salesperson, you want to demo the device, you want to try things. Um, even for grocery, brand immersion, man, you want to, you want to, you want to smell and taste it. And, and yeah, and you know, if you, if you're going to go to a sleep mattress store. You want to lay on the bed. Um, I might nap. I might just, I might just pack it in. Um, well, ironically enough, um, uh, there's a, there's a hot tub company here in, in the Seattle area where, uh, they actually will have you come in and sit in the hot tub, right? Like bring a swimsuit in, sit in the hot tub. They are trying everything to get these, these things converted. And it's, 
I didn't know that was a thing, but it's uh, it actually seems like a really interesting uh, approach to to selling hot tubs. But sure anyway, does. The point is experience, right? If you're going to go in store, it's it's less transactional. It's more experiential because if it's all about the transaction, you can do that online. You don't need to go to a physical store. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and and I think I would go one one step farther uh, and say that I think that you know obviously the store, the brick and mortar store needs to be almost like a billboard of the experience of the brand one. And two, I think that going back to my comment earlier about data, I think that we're in the early innings of data collection as it relates to retail. I think that, you know, the old metrics of, you know, sales per square foot that we lived and died by in the brick and mortar retail business for years and years and years is, is, is not complete. It's not a good metric anymore because I'm just as likely, and I actually did this the other day, I went into a store, saw a shirt that I really liked by a brand that I really liked, and then they didn't, they didn't have the size uh, that I wanted. No big deal. Didn't even think about it. Went on my phone, ordered it from, um, from a different place and, and, and went home. Yeah, I think that it's going to be very likely to walk into a Warby Parker or a Bonobos or, uh, you know, p- pick a, a retailer that you identify with. And, um, you know, you might want to go in the store just cause you want to see what the frames will look like on your face, but doesn't mean you're necessarily going to buy it then and there. You might just, you know, next week you might get a coupon in the mail that, that, or on Instagram that makes you actually make the purchase. So those metrics I think are, are going to, are going to change dramatically. Carlos, uh, walk everybody through how they can connect with Ipsos, how they can connect with you, where they can find out a little bit more about this study. Uh, if people want to do more of a deep dive, let them know where they can do that, please. Yeah, so uh, Ipsos.com is our website. Um, uh, I think Ipsos.com slash NA is the North America website. Uh, you can always contact me or email me at Carlos.Aragon at Ipsos.com. Um, happy to talk about e-commerce and, and in-store shopping till um, till I run out of breath. It's mm. it's definitely a, an interesting time to be working in this category right now. It really, really is. And and thank you so much for keeping us kind of uh, keeping our fingers on the pulse of of the consumer behavior and the consumer mindset through all of this. Uh, hopefully, we can do it again soon, and hopefully, uh, it will. I won't be getting emails about how masks are required of me when, when I go everywhere. Hopefully, hopefully this is a blip and, uh, and we can get back to, to kind of our, our, our normal lives here sooner than later. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. All right, Carlos, thank you so much for your time. My name is Adam Williams, and you've been listening to another episode of Retail Redeveloped.